0: Thanks everybody for joining, good to see you. And uh, I don't have any announcements, so Robert, you're good to go whenever you're ready to start.
1: Okay, let me, oh, uh, I need to share my audio, I should have done that a second ago. Uh, let's see if that's working. Um,
0: give me one second. I apologize, I should have done this a second ago. I'm sorry, we still have people joining, so. Okay, okay.
1: All right, uh, I'm going to start playing this, Matt. If, it, if you can't hear it or it doesn't work, let me know.
2: I will, thanks. The at Capernaum. Then many of his disciples, when they heard these things, said, This is a difficult saying. Who, who can understand it? When Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining about this, he said to them, Does this cause you to be offended? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had already known from the beginning who those were that did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. So Jesus added, Because of this, I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has allowed him to come. After this, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. So Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied, Didn't I choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? Now he said this about Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for Judas, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The Gospel of John... Okay.
1: That was the rest of chapter six. Let me click another recording for the beginning of chapter seven. And that will be the passage that we're discussing today.
2: After this, Jesus traveled throughout Galilee. He stayed out of Judea because the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. Now, the Jewish feast of shelters was near. So Jesus' brothers advised him, leave here and go to Judea, so your disciples may see your miracles that you are performing. For no one who seeks to make a reputation for himself does anything in secret. If you are doing these things, show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him. So Jesus replied, my time has not yet arrived, but you are ready at any opportunity. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I am testifying about it that its deeds are evil. You go up to the feast yourselves. I am not going up to this feast because my time has not yet fully arrived. When he had said this, he remained in Galilee.
1: Okay. Well, hello everybody. That was the reading for today and um, I'm gonna jump straight into the discussion of it. Um, today may be a little bit different. Um, oh no, my screen went blank. Can you guys still hear me?
0: Yeah, I can I can hear you and see you just fine. Okay,
1: sorry about that. Man, I'm having all the technical issues today, but I'm back. Okay, Um. so, Generally, I try to stay very close to the text, mostly focus on the Greek, the nuances, you know, the historical background. Today, I'm going to give a a little bit more of a kind of personal commentary. We will see how that goes. But uh, let's start with uh, the end of chapter six. So remember, this is at the end of the discourse about the bread of life. We discussed that last time where Jesus emphasizes, I am the bread, right? And he is alluding back to the story of Moses and manna from heaven. And in that particular comparison, Jesus is not saying, I am Moses. He's saying, I am the bread. So I am not the guy telling you about the thing. I am the thing you need. And he uses, I suppose what we would, what we could call offensive language or inflammatory language. When he says, you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood. In the like we discussed last time in English, some of the, you know, nuance there gets lost, essentially how graphic the language is, because in English we may say, you must consume my flesh or consume my blood, something of that sort. Well, when this happens, many turn away. They say this is a difficult thing. Now, before I get to that, verse 59 tells us finally that Jesus was doing all this at the synagogue. Now that matters because there is already a past history of Jesus at this particular synagogue. Now this comes from one of the other gospels, this comes from Mark. And I'm gonna read this brief passage because I think it's important for us to understand the context of the people who are arguing with Jesus. Okay, so this is from Mark chapter two, verses one through 12. Now, after some days, when he returned to Capernaum, the news spread that he was at home. So many gathered that there was no longer any room, not even by the door, and he preached the word to them. Some people came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. When they were not able to bring him in because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Jesus. Then, after tearing it out, they lowered the the stretcher the paralytic was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son your sins are forgiven now some of the experts in the law were sitting there turning these things in their minds why does this man speak this way he's blaspheming how can who can forgive sins but god alone now immediately when jesus realized in his spirit that they were contemplating such thoughts he said to them why are you thinking such things in your hearts which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say stand up take your stretcher And walk but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic I tell you stand up take your stretcher and go home and immediately the man stood up took his stretcher and went out in front of them all they were all amazed and glorified God saying we have never seen anything like this okay why am I reading that story not so much because I want to get into that particular passage but to point out that Not only has Jesus fed the 5,000, and remember that's a severe undercounting, that's 5,000 grown men, it could be many thousands more, but he has performed miracles at this very location, a very public one. He has had similar discussions with the people there, and yet they refuse to believe. And what is what is the crowd saying to jesus they say this teaching about you being the bread of life about us having to consume your flesh and drink your blood and so forth this is a difficult teaching now difficult could mean two things right on one hand it could be difficult to understand but on the other hand it can be difficult in the sense of it's hard to follow Okay, and I think the text makes it fairly clear that it's the second one. Okay, that when they say this is difficult, is this, this is a very, in a sense, high standard or a very difficult thing to do, not difficult to understand. Um, then there's there's that second question when they say, um, I lost my place here, but they say, who can understand it? I believe is how the NET translates it. Uh, literally in the Greek what's there is who can hear it, meaning who can abide by this, who could follow this. And that makes sense of Jesus' reply. Are you offended by this? Are you offended by what I'm teaching? And then Jesus raises the bar, right? He says, if you're offended by this, what about when, um, How does Steve phrase it, when I, mm -mm, forgive me, I'm going through my notes here um then what if you see the son of man ascending where he was before that would be referring to the ascension right now there's a there's a couple of ways to take that statement um perhaps jesus is saying what about when i'm crucified will that be even more counter to your expectations Uh, because john tends to see the crucifixion the resurrection and the ascension as one event So perhaps John here is is referring to the whole thing. Um, I think it's more likely that he's truly referring to the ascension. And why would the ascension be offensive to them? Well, one, it would leave them with no doubt, right? At this point, they can't doubt what Jesus is saying. He would have fully proven himself, but also it would be the, the last nail in the coffin, so to speak, of their expectations. Because it would show that Jesus is not this political king that, remember, not long ago in, in chapter 6, the crowd was pushing Jesus to be, right? The crowd says, Jesus, we want you to be king right now um, because you gave us bread. And in, in that Brings up a lot of images in their minds, and I'm thinking, "Yep, you're the guy we've been waiting for, who's going to liberate us, who's you know going to beat the Romans." That's what they're thinking. Well, when Jesus ascends to heaven, any hope of that goes away, right? Um, and and I'm not, uh, you know, if you're a Christian and and you're hearing this and thinking that I am somehow getting into eschatological thoughts about. You know, I don't know pre-mail and all that stuff. I'm not. I'm not. So if 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 there is no secret subtext here to what I'm to what I'm saying, if you're thinking that, but um, at any rate, so Jesus says that. You know, well, if you cannot, if you think this is hard to abide by, um, what about when I ascend to heaven? And I'm going to make a a pop culture here, a pop culture reference. I mean, uh, which. It's, I'm sure it's super lame, but I, I've always thought that this is a profound lyric. I'm sure everybody is familiar with that song from the 90s, I think, by John Osborne. Uh, what if God was one of us? And she has a line in there, and I'm, I'm gonna read it right quick. It says, if God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see if seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets? Um, I, I always thought, particularly for a popular song that was a very deep lyric. Um, Would you really wanna see if seeing meant you had to believe? And I I think that's the idea that Jesus is pointing out here. Uh, The more you see, kind of the more guilt you bring up up upon your own head by not believing. Um, Well, after this happens, many depart, right? Uh, So many of, of the people who were following Jesus, they go, no it doesn't tell us exactly as opposed to thoughts in their mind but we can speculate they're probably thinking this is not what we expected this is not what we wanted or he is demanding too much of us um right he's he's demanding that we partake in him and even if that's not completely clear what what exactly it means it does mean a deep following of jesus right uh, at the very least and jesus turns to his disciples and offers the same thing hey if you guys want to leave leave and of course i am paraphrasing you know we just read the text Um, and i think this is a powerful moment of of removing sort of any coercion uh, it's a very human moment, so to speak, of if, if you know, count the cost. That That's actually a, a verse that's in the Bible, not in this text, of course, but it's that same idea of count the cost. If I'm not worth it, go ahead and leave. And yet the disciples don't leave. Particularly, Peter rises up to the occasion, and he makes a confession. And this is in the other Gospels, particularly, this would be like the first confession of who Jesus is by one of the disciples. In the Gospel of John, at the very beginning, right, we see a similar confession, but it's it's unclear in the beginning if the early disciples truly understand what they're saying, like perhaps they're speaking more than they know. Um, but in this case, uh, Peter finally makes this this full confession of swords and he says you are the holy one of god that phrase the holy one of god it relates back to the old testament a very similar phrase is used in the all throughout the old testament normally in the old testament it's the holy one of israel but it's the same thing it's, it's effectively the same phrase i just give one example from psalms seventy-one, twenty-two, uh, just to kind of prove the point that it is used in the old testament it says i will express my thanks to you with a string instrument praising your faithfulness oh my god i will sing praises to you accompanied by a harp o holy one of israel okay. so for peter to call jesus this it's a huge deal okay so say so it the, the apostles are beginning to get it and i say they're beginning to get it perhaps they fully get it i'm not in their heads and, and i don't know um but um you know They're certainly getting there at any rate. Now, this term actually has one of these classic Gospel of John double entendres because the Holy One of God could also be used to refer to a servant of God, to like an emissary of God. And I I think that we have another case of a double entendre here going where uh, Jesus both is God, right? And But he's also serving God. He's serving the Father, right? Jesus keeps going back to that. I do the will of my Father. So this title works for both roles, so to speak, or for both things. Uh, it, it's really quite clever. Well, then, and here's where I'm going to go off the rails and, and, you know, give a little bit of uh, kind of personal commentary. But uh, Peter adds another question. He says, Effectively, right? If we leave you, to whom will we go? Uh, making the point, that there doesn't seem to be a better alternative out there. You have the the words of truth, and at this point, like I said, I I, I want to take this to. Um, to kind of connect it to how I think about this. And, and this might be helpful for some of you and it might not, but but I know that uh, several people, but I think, Matt, you included, but correct me if I'm wrong, like you're interested in how does Christianity make sense of the big picture, so to speak, right? Like, of, you know, how does Christianity make sense of the world? Um, and if I'm misrepresenting you, Matt, by all means, you know, correct me. Um, well, so, I I think about this all the time. You know, is it you know like if I if I left Christianity, where would I go? If I left Christ, where would I go? To answer that, I am going to read what I wrote here, and then I will I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, and and hopefully, there this is of some value to you. Okay, I'm going to begin with that with that analogy. Just bear with me; the analogy is long, but I promise it pays off. Okay. Assume for just a brief moment that I were a good mechanic. I am not. You come to me with a problem. This morning, as you backed up your car to head to work, you noticed there was a puddle right under the car. The puddle is not very large. The liquid is greenish, but parts of it seem gold too. The pavement underneath is quite dark, so you have a hard time discerning how dark the liquid itself is. I'm a good mechanic, so I quickly come up with some options. It could be water, oil, coolant, and transmission fluid. I theorized that water would have evaporated by the morning and scratch it off the list. I also know that transmission fluid is dark red, so it's probably not the right answer. Now the answer is narrowed down to two possibilities, oil or coolant. Coolant is generally green, but if spread thin on dark pavement, it can look yellowish. Oil looks yellow and less dirty, then it looks black. Your car is old, you haven't changed the oil in a few thousand miles, so the oil would probably look black. The best explanation for your mystery puddle is coolant. Now further assume another mechanic is there too. He argues, almost as convincingly, that oil is the best explanation. A few thousand miles is not enough to turn all black, he says, and the car, although old, is not burning any oil. After we are done theorizing about the puddle, we move on to a different topic. You tell me that your car has been running hot. Oh dear, that leaves quite a few possibilities. The problem could lie in the radiator, belts, hoses, oil, cooling system, water pump, and bath thermostat. Now, you probably already want to pick one particular solution given the the prior paragraphs, but please for a moment, refrain. Assume that I, the brilliant mechanic, again engage in in my deductive process while also ignoring everything mentioned in the prior paragraphs. I review all the evidence carefully and conclude the problem is in the cooling system. But that wretched other mechanic is still available to second-guess my conclusion. He believes the best explanation for the car overheating is in the thermostat. In fact, the car is not overheating at all. We both lay out our evidence and either conclusion seems likely. Finally, you tell me another odd story. The car smells funny. Funny, I ask, how? Well, it's not an unpleasant smell, a little sweet. Again, I know you, the reader, are dying to jump to a conclusion. Hold your horses for one more minute. While ignoring the prior paragraphs, I theorize about all the possible causes, then I lay out a sa- sound and thorough argument as to why the most probable explanation for that smell is a coolant leak. At this point, the other mechanic scoffs at me. There are a thousand possible explanations for an odd faintly sweet smell, from spilled soda to air freshener. Any firm conclusion is certainly unwarranted, he convincingly argues. Now, let's retell this story a different way. You come to me, the mechanic, with the following issues. There was a greenish-yellowish puddle under the car, the car is getting hot, and there's a faintly sweet smell in the car. The solution is obviously a coolant leak. To quote our former president, I know it, you know it, everyone knows it. Got it. So, And I'm gonna move on to the application here in a second, but what I'm trying to do is, is I'm trying to set up the, the way that I think about this, for whatever extent it's helpful to you guys, that we, we often talk about religion making sense of this or that, or you know this other thing, but we always take small pieces, right? Like small, perhaps not small, but individual questions. How does the Bible make sense of problem one and problem two and problem three? And I think when we tend to focus on just one particular issue, yeah, we could come up with multiple solutions. But all of a sudden, if we put all of the questions together, I think that it gives us an immediate answer or a much more obvious answer. So let me read uh, what I call the application of, of this analogy. And and this is going to sound like stream of, of thought or stream of conscience. And that's kind of on purpose, but it's not nearly as lengthy. Okay. So what does my little story have to do with anything? It seems to me that reality suffers from several quote-unquote symptoms. These are facts of the world that are almost undeniable while at the same time being puzzling. The universe seems to have a beginning. There are powerful scientific reasons to believe this, but frankly, this is a fact wholly within our own common sense. If time is infinite in the past, how would we have reached this very moment? Why has energy now fully devolved into heat if the universe exists eternally in the past? The universe seems oddly fine-tuned for life. The more we learn about the universe, the more we realize that if the very fundamental rules of the universe, like the gravitational force, were any different, life could not exist. I'm not talking about human life. No life could exist. But the symptoms get stranger. There seems to be good and evil. Not just good, not just evil. The view that everything is how it should be can account for good, but not for evil. The view that matter is all that exists and life is meaningless can account for neither. There seems to be minds that have intentionality. If someone steals my wallet, I blame the criminal. I really do blame the criminal. I don't blame some unguided chain of events that inevitably resulted in that outcome. There seems to be beauty. The view that beauty is in the eye of the beholder is sheer nonsense. We might not say it, but we all know this. Taste might be in the eye of the beholder. A person can have bad taste and like ugly things, but that doesn't make the ugly into beautiful. Shockingly, mathematics, a completely abstract concept, seems to describe the physical reality. Math would exist even if no time, matter, or space existed. It is untethered from the universe, and yet it can elegantly summarize the universe's workings. People seem to have inherent worth. And people seem to have a higher worth than animals, so the mere possession of brain function does not seem to entirely explain people's worth. Life seems to have purpose. Take the Star Wars philosophy. The force always returns to balance. That view can account for good and evil, but it eliminates any sense of purpose. A life may seem to have a purpose, but history as a whole has no arch. And because of that, neither does life if considered within the wider framework. Forgive my stream of conscience above, but it accurately reflects the quandary. Sure, naturalism might be able to explain fine-tuning by uh, positing a multiverse, but it can't explain good and evil. Sure, some form of Taoism could account for good and evil, but it can't account for purpose. Sure, no, New Ageism exalting the divine nature of individuals can account for people's inherent worth, but it struggles to explain the way people intentionally hurt one another, much less what should be done about it. And so allow me to repeat Peter's question, if not Christ, to whom will I go? So, um, and I've never done this in this Bible study, but what I'm trying to to point out is, at least from a personal perspective, this really is how I think of the issue. I, you know, I was not raised a Christian. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was not raised in a Christian culture. You could say it was like nominally Catholic, the culture I mean, not my home. Um, but, But it's all like, you know, Jesus was my default answer, so to speak. By the time I was in my teens, I was an outspoken atheist, you know, You can fill in all the blanks, like whatever you're assuming of me at this point is probably correct. Um, But now I look back and I'm like, I had, I, I needed like all these ad hoc answers to these features of reality, right? Like I needed to, like I said, posit a multiverse just to explain fine tuning. And I needed to either deny good and evil, although they seem undeniable, or, you know, yeah, that's a question I could never tackle back in the day, to be honest. Morality had to be explained by some result of evolution that maybe is false, but we believe is true. I mean, it, I just I had to come up with all these answers. Um, none of them very good, but on their own, they seemed at least, I don't know, potentially reasonable. But I think when you look at reality as a whole, and you look at all these issues that are named, and this is just a few, they, right? My stream of conscience could have gone on forever. Um, You go, huh, the same answer for there's good, there's evil, history seems to have a certain arch, the universe began to exist, and math applies to the physical universe, right? All completely seemingly unrelated things, all of a sudden like click into place by the same answer, by the same quote unquote theory of everything. It, it it just amazes me i i think you know if if you're if you're not a believer or if you are you know whatever this is something that is worth thinking about the sheer explanatory power of uh the christian worldview um and now i know i'm fully aware that what peter was asking of jesus you know if not you then to whom will we go he was probably not thinking of this so i am kind of co-opting his question but i thought it was a good opportunity um and of course in all of this that i've said i really haven't addressed the most personal quote-unquote symptom of reality right that at least personally i see that i am not perfect that i am not good which is not to say that there's no goodness in me i'm not saying that i'm worthless or that anyone else anyone else is worthless but at least, in my experience, when I think of myself, I see that I I am what in Christianity we would call a deeply sinful person, and so if there is a a good God out there, right? If if God created the world and there's good in the world, that would lead me to believe that God Himself is good. That what you know, th- there has to be a solution for this. There's um there's a preacher that he used to go to university campuses and he would say, you know, the biggest problem that you have uh, is that God is good. Now, he would be preaching, of course, to very antithetical uh, or sorry, antagonistic is what I meant to say, forgive me. Very antagonistic audiences, you know, these college kids who think they know everything and they think Christianity is the worst, you know. So, of course, he would say that to get a rise out of them. But he would say, you know, the biggest problem you've got is that god is good and eventually somebody may ask you know why why is that a problem he would answer well because you are not right you have this problem of a good god with a non-good person um, and how do you reconcile that and and jesus seems to solve that the best of any other option right and of course I, i'm saying say I'm framing this and seems to fit that or whatever, because I'm, I'm trying to be open to whoever's listening to or participating today. But as a Christian, I believe that Jesus perfectly fits that problem um, where God being good is saying, okay, I want to reconcile everyone to me, but that will require people to kind of give up themselves, to allow God to redeem them and change them and pay for the bad things that they have done. And Jesus checks all those boxes, right? So I I just, I find this to be quite incredible and maybe, you know, this will generate some questions. Um, So I'll I'll leave it there. I'll finish the rest of the passage and then we we can talk about anything there that I brought up. Then chapter seven begins, I'm just gonna set this up so that next time we can we can jump straight into the text but between chapter six and chapter seven there is an undetermined amount of time right the author effectively just says and later this happened that later by no means implies some sort of immediacy like it is so like the action goes straight from one event to the other in fact from the festivals and this, that and the other, we can, we can kind of guess that probably six months go by between the end of chapter six and the beginning of chapter seven. I think I'm getting that correct. If if I'm misremembering by any chance, please somebody correct me. Um, but at any rate, it's been a number of months. And they make it to the Feast of Tabernacles. the The text doesn't call it the Feast of Tabernacles. The same feast goes by five or six different names, but the most popular is Feast of Tabernacle. Uh, The other way to call it may be the Feast of Booths because they would stay in tents or booths, right? Um, This is a, a, a holiday, a festival that was set up in the Old Testament. And the purpose of this festival was for Uh, the Jews to remember, or the Israelites, I ought to say, for Israel to remember that God delivered them from Egypt. And when they left Egypt, they had to stay in tents, right? Because they were nomads for a while, well, for a long while. Um, And so that being the purpose of the festival, what what the Israelites would do is for an entire week, they would stay in tents. They would set them up all around the city, in this case, Jerusalem, right? uh and and it would begin on a sunday with a like a sorry not a sunday a saturday on a sabbath day forgive me it would begin on a sabbath day with a sort of convocation then you have the this week of of celebration and then it would end on the next sabbath i posted a a lengthier discussion of it on the blog if you want to read more about it but i think that really Gets to what we need to know Uh, the length of the festival you know and and what it was meant to do Um, this is one of the three required holidays for all male jews all of them had to go to jerusalem and they would there are historical accounts of entire towns that would go to jerusalem this is important, right? Because in chapter seven, the brothers of Jesus are going, Hey, we should go to this festival so you can do public miracles. Presumably that way everyone will believe in you. And Jesus says, No, I'm I'm gonna wait. Well, it you know, since everybody's gonna go to the festival, his enemies, Jesus' enemies, would have been there. So this could have sped up the crucifixion, and Jesus is saying, Nope. My time has not come yet. Now, Jesus is going to go later. That's in the reading that we have for next week. And he arrives in the middle of the celebration, which makes it very difficult for his enemies to have a public execution. I hate to put it that way. It sounds really like hardcore, but that's really what's happening here, right? His enemies are not going to execute a guy publicly in the middle of this gigantic festival. So may, maybe that gives you a sense to, to what's going on as far as the, the action, so to speak, not the theology, but the moves that all the players are making in the story. Um, the last thing here that I'll cover, Matt, I don't know if you want to announce questions and then I'll talk for another couple of minutes.
0: Sure. As usual, uh, go ahead and type question in the chat. If you have a question, point of discussion, whatever it may be, just type question in the chat and I will take those in order momentarily when Robert is finished up.
1: Well, the last little bit that I have not discussed is the fact that the brothers of Jesus, right? Because Jesus had, um, they would have been half brothers because of course, Jesus is not the son of Joseph, uh, not biologically at any rate. Um, and I'm not trying to cause any controversy here. If we have any Catholics listening, you know, um, the Catholics would would either believe that their brothers are just sons of, I mean, sons and daughters of Joseph, not of Mary, um, or that these were cousins that are just referred to as as brothers. Uh, uh, Protestants normally don't have any issue taking the text. Uh, you know, at its face, essentially, or on its face, to mean uh, children of Joseph and Mary. Um, that's, this is not really something that I want to discuss at length today, and let somebody ask a question, but the reason for that is because Catholics generally believe that Mary uh, always remained a virgin, uh, so she didn't have any other children. Okay, but again, that's not the purpose of today at all. Um, well, the brothers don't believe Jesus, and this is fairly scandalous to admit because in jewish culture losing the support of your family would speak very negatively of you because families are are so you know so tightly knit so to speak also as a teacher you know if if the closest followers of a of a teacher at the time would have deserted him or not believed him that also would reflect very negatively on that teacher uh, and this this was well known this sort of appeared both in Greek writings and Jewish writings so so you have that and then also at least one of Jesus brothers would become a leader in the church just a few years after this and it could be seen as as kind of shameful that he didn't he still did not believe Jesus up to this point in the story so it's a bit of an embarrassing fact to admit to put in there. But I think this shows um that the gospel writers are just kind of telling the story how it was. Um, you know, I, I think that it shows that the Bible is not as biased as credits would critics, sorry, would, would make it out to be. Um and um and yeah, here my last point is that Jesus says, no, my time has not yet come. Notice how deliberate Jesus is about this. Jesus knows, we, we know from from the end of chapter six jesus knows that judas is going to betray him and jesus knows that his time is coming and he's not avoiding his death but he has it effectively very much planned out and it has to come at a certain point when jesus has done certain things um so the crucifixion of jesus is not some sort of mistake or some sort of surprise it is the plan all along and Jesus makes it clear chapter after chapter after chapter you know my time is coming but it's not right now there's a few other things that must happen um, and with that I I'm gonna open it up to questions
0: all right well thank you for that you are correct in uh, guessing that I may have some thoughts about this particular one because um, mm-hmm. you're speaking my language uh, one of the things I appreciate about your approach to these lessons is that you want to stick to the text. You don't want to impose your view. You want to be fair to all interpretations. And I appreciate that very much. However, I also very much appreciated your description of how you arrived at your perspective and sort of the the thought process and the philosophy that went into that because it sounds nearly identical to my own. And there are a couple of things that, uh, stand out to me. And actually, I, I don't know if we've talked about it before. I don't, I don't know if I knew you were an atheist in your younger years. I'm, you probably have mentioned it to me before, but maybe I just forgot. Um, that's part of it is just like, a, I don't know if I ever considered myself an atheist, but I, I was much more skeptical, critical when I was younger than I am now. And as, as my own perspective has opened up to this, uh, into this Bible study, I've always felt a little bit of guilt. I don't know if guilt is the right word, but I've I've felt a dissatisfaction with my own process in that that question that that you brought up from the from the uh, text. If not if not this, then what else? Basically, mm-hmm. um, I've always felt guilty about that because it's like a a, a default thing. It's like well, I kind of looked around and like this was this is what I came to, rather than something that felt like an affirmative case for its own sake
1: mm-hmm.
0: but everything you had to say about that it, it made me feel better about that it made me feel like it was a it's a it's a it's looking at everything in totality using a process of elimination it's not disregarding uh the bible or the teachings of jesus or anything it's just being fair to a lot of different explanations and arriving at the one that is the best so i appreciated that explanation Um, and then just the, the, the themes about how some things are undeniable and puzzling at the same time. And that's exactly how I feel about a lot of this stuff. Like there, life has a purpose. There is a moral structure to the world. I can see that. I can feel that it's very obvious. Where did that come from? How did that come to be? Why does it exist? Those are all the, the sort of questions that, uh, are the reason that I'm here. And so obviously I don't have the answers to those, um, but uh, I, everything you said about how you arrive at this perspective is exactly the sort of thought process that I have and exactly the questions that I'm trying to answer. So those, I just wanted to offer my commentary and appreciation on that because, yeah, that's, that's the sort of stuff that really clicks with me.
1: Well, uh, I'm glad. And maybe I'll try to incorporate more of this into the Bible study. You know, I've, I've- I've kind of gone through this evolution where the first few weeks I was just going verse by verse and getting into every nuance and I think people hated it and then I started focusing on the main topics and that was kind of an improvement and but at any rate I'll try to incorporate these conversations more as we go along um and and we'll see how that goes but I I mean yeah I was that Annoying, edgy atheist. And I'm not calling, I'm not insulting atheists out there if there's somebody listening today, but you know what I mean. The kid who thinks he knows it all because he watched like one YouTube video. And and I was very outspoken about it. And, and now I look back and I'm like, wow, my answers were like woefully bad. Um, so in everything in that stream of conscience that I brought up, there are strong and specific arguments for each one of those quote unquote symptoms. Um, it, so in case anybody's interested, we can, we can delve deeper into those, but
0: you know, mm-hmm. but the, uh, here I'll just open it up for other questions. Yeah. Uh, Mari, if you're ready to go, go ahead and unmute yourself and you can chime in.
2: Okay. So you mentioned uh multiverse and you were talking about that a lot. So I don't know if this is a question, but this is more of a, uh, maybe it's more of a statement. Are you familiar with, uh, Steven, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Meyer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I really have enjoyed a lot of his, uh, his books and his uh, YouTube videos. And he specifically talks about multiverse and, and essentially the case for God from a scientific perspective. So yeah, yeah.
0: can, can you guys explain what that refers to? I'm not entirely clear what you mean when yeah. you, when you use the term multiverse.
1: Yeah. So the idea, and I'm going to zone in on, on that argument about The fine-tuning of the universe right so the normally theists because this is not just christians it would include muslims and jewish i mean and jews um they they say look at the universe like it seems so fine-tuned to allow for life and what what people mean by that first of all they don't mean just human life because immediately the accusation is oh you know you're just thinking humans are so special no no like if you were to change any of these constants, any of these cosmological constants by any amount, like the gravitational force or uh, the mass of certain particles, you know, things like that, Um, the universe falls apart, like planets would never develop, stars would never develop, like literally no life could develop. And when I say if you change the amounts by, or these constants by any amount, I mean by uh, one over 10 to like the 50th power, some, unreasonable number. And the the more evidence that, that supports this, the people on the other side, the atheists, normally now they've had to say, OK, we grant that this looks super suspicious, like how is the universe so fine tuned for life? But the way the answer is they say there's an infinite number of universes out there. And, and so one of those is it's just bound to have the correct conditions for life. And now, of course, this is really <laughs> no more scientific than positing a God, because since these other universes are literally other universes, we can never test this. Like, we, we can never obtain evidence of another universe. Um, but they would rather believe that there's an infinite number of universes, so this was bound to happen, than to uh, go with, uh, you know, like the God exp- or the Creator explanation
0: okay, yeah, I guess I have heard that the way it was described I've had it described to me before is uh like a lottery ticket metaphor yeah. that if you had infinite lottery tickets, you have essentially a guarantee of winning
1: yes. yes yes um in let me connect this to to what I was saying today um I let's let's grant for a second I don't really grant this, but let's grant for a second that the multiverse explanation, is like just as good as the creator explanation that there is like a 50-50. What I was trying to to explain today is I think that even if like even if those were 50-50 and then we had you know a 50-50 explanation for the beginning of the universe and a 50-50 explanation for morality or whatever I think it's worth to take a step back and go yeah but my explanation explains all of these things yours at best even if it was just as likely would explain that one phenomena, um, but at any rate, I'll, I'll go back to questions. I don't want to take up all the time.
0: Yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. That would be it's it's almost like a creation explanation, but it doesn't have anything to say about about moral framework, which is my yes. area of interest. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, Cecil, if you're there, uh, okay. And am I saying it correct? By the way, do you yes. prefer Cecil or Cecil? I never I never know how to. Say it doesn't it. worry. Don't worry about. It. All right. Don't worry about that works okay. for me then. Thank you.
3: If I remember correctly, Jesus had trouble doing miracles around his family. And that there was this thing about a prophet does it gets no respect within his own family, his own house. Do you think go to Jerusalem to actually embarrass him to say, well, you can't do it around us. So either prove it, or we're embarrassing you.
1: Um. Well, I think, um, we should remember that his very first miracle, at least in John's gospel, is with his family, right? His his own mom says, hey, could you turn the water into wine? And there's a bit of a discussion, and he says, fine, and does it. So I don't know if, if um, I would say that he has trouble doing miracles around his family. Um, but the, that phrase that you mentioned, right, we did discuss it a, a couple of weeks ago, that a prophet has no honor in his own town. And that, that's either referring to Galilee, where he was from, or to Israel as a whole. Um, but, but I think any way you look at that, I, I mean, Jesus did miracles in Galilee, which is where his family would have been, and his first miracle was around his mother. I don't think that was quite the issue. I just think that he knew that if he had gone to the festival with his brothers, that would have probably culminated in conflict right then and there. Does that help at all or is he so t- feel free to respond to that?
3: Yeah, that's helpful. I'm just I, I remember him having trouble doing miracles in his family either in this gospel or one of the others. And mm. I'm wondering if they really weren't believing that he could actually do it. Mm. And that's why they were kind of teasing him about it.
0: All right. Did you have any uh looks like he's all finished up. Thank you, Cecil uh i realized i forgot to uh offer maria follow-up to maria i don't know if you had any more thoughts about the multiverse or anything else but if you do go ahead and chime in
2: oh uh, no i think that uh yeah he get a good uh, explanation of uh the fine-tuning which is kind of a uh, stephen meyer's whole thing and the multiverse so hey good job
0: thanks mari uh we are all caught up on questions if anybody else has a question or a point of discussion again just go ahead and type question in the chat i'll be happy to bring you in um but we do have about 10 minutes left. Not that we can't end early, but I don't know if there were any other points of discussion that uh, you might like to bring up Robert or anything that you didn't go into as much detail or anything like that.
1: Well, um, if we have a a minute or two, um, I think I'd like to maybe go back to some of the things that I mentioned and then we'll see if any questions come up. And if not, we'll, we'll end a little early, but I, I think that, Well, I guess let me go back to one of the things I wrote about, which is the fact that there seems to be good and evil, and not just one or the other. And I think about this, you know, a fair amount, because there really is a complicated system to account for. Um, If, you know, like say the universe is fully deterministic and is created by a good God, then everything would be good, but if the universe is fully deterministic and is created by an evil god, then you would expect everything to be evil. It it takes like a very weird set of conditions to have both, um, and 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 I think that that's, that that already knocks out some other some other systems of thought, right? Um, also, this idea of a story arch that that there is purpose to to life and and really to kind of history as a whole okay. I'm gonna be very edgy here and criticize Star Wars uh, so don't don't throw rocks at me but <laughs> I remember watching Star Wars as a kid and I hated it uh, again this is what literally everyone is gonna end the call <laughs> but I I hated this idea of the the light and the darkness or whatever they phrase it, you know, um, being in balance all the time. Because even as a kid, I was like, then nothing matters. Like, even if the good guys really try to win, it's going to go back to this balance of good and evil. And to, even if the bad guys really tried to win, it's going to go back to this balance. Like, then it's so hopeless. Like, history has no arch. It has no purpose. And it seems to me that reality doesn't work that way. Um, and you know, so I I hope that explains some of the things that are out. And Matt, if you want to jump in, and and I don't know.
0: Well, I like Star Wars. I mean, I, <laughs> but um, I, I I guess I on behalf of Star Wars, I want to push back because I'm not sure that. Well, I don't know. But the, the, the the phrase "bring balance to the force" and now we're going way off the rails because I'm not here to debate. Like, I'm here to talk about the. Here to talk about reality of our world, not <laughs> the balance of the force, but, but I suppose if we use that as a metaphor for some of the things we're talking about here, good and evil, like in in the movies when they use the phrase, like you were supposed to bring balance to the force. What does that mean? Does that mean a a, a balance between good and evil in the way that you're describing? Or I always interpreted that to mean like a peace, I suppose. But I, I, I guess if there's an agreement between good and evil to kind of leave each other alone, then maybe you have that peace. I I. I I'll get off the star wars metaphor because it's i'm not sure that i fully understand that piece of the universe's philosophy yeah. um, and maybe i'm wrong
1: i you know if i'm wrong please don't hate me
0: <laughs> well i guess i i I would just uh i would like to hear a little bit more about you said it's weird for good and evil to exist simultaneously mm-hmm. i'm not sure i understand why can you explain that a little bit more sure like well
1: so you know, like I said, take a take a scenario in which um, God is good. Like, of course, I believe that, right? I believe that God is good. But, but uh, we could very easily, I think, envision a reality in which God is good and He creates a universe where everything is perfectly good. Like, there is there is no evil in it at all whatsoever, and everything is determined by His good wishes.
0: And, we, and uh, sorry to interrupt, but when we say good and evil, definitions just being like good pursuant to God, mm-hmm. evil, uh opposed to God, generally. Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think those are perfectly fine definitions, right? At least by the Christian standard, right? God is good. So God is the God's character is the standard of goodness. Um and and we could also flip it and say, well, what if God was evil? Right? And so God could create a universe where all we have is like suffering and and you know, whatever, punishment. There's no such thing as love, there's no such thing as joy, there's no such thing as a pleasant afternoon. Uh, because God is evil and everything is evil.
0: I guess well, I guess what, I, what I'm confused about is like under if if good is defined by pursuant to God or God's will, whatever God wants, can God be evil? I, I suppose I, that is. I a know fair I'm kind question. of getting into a semantic thing. But I yeah. but I I guess what I don't understand how god himself can be evil under this framework
1: actually i i actually agree with you i i think uh yeah i don't think that that god can be evil um that's going to get into really weird territory but i fully grant your point that let me rephrase i got that we in our current understanding would understand as evil right i got that only wants to cause oh, okay. like pain and you know awful things and deprive us from all joy and love and all that um but you know, I think it's it's a difficult to kind of craft this a worldview in which you have a good God and He creates a universe, and then this universe has both. in In the Christian worldview, right, you have the fall, you have people rebelling against God because um, God makes people um, into you know free agents or whatever, and they they have the choice you know follow god or don't um and people don't follow god which is what we call the fall that that would all be in genesis which if we ever want to talk about that we we absolutely can um but you know whether people believe or don't believe in the in the christian story at the very least the christian story accounts for both it accounts for good existing it accounts for people being inherently valuable right because christians would say this is in genesis one um that uh people are made in god's image so there's something divine in them there's something inherently uh you know of, of value and that is of higher value than anything else in creation that's also explicit back in in genesis um but at the same time you have all that goodness there is evil and how could evil evil happen well god made people with the ability to choose that and they did um so i just think that that it makes sense of those data points, so to speak.
0: Okay, thanks for the explanation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see, I still everybody's being quiet tonight. No, uh, no questions, no points of discussion. So I'll give a last call on those. If anybody wants to get in a word in before we're finished up, go ahead and type question in the chat. Uh, We'll give people a couple minutes. Actually, I see yeah. i see I, demby i see you waving we can go that yeah. method. <laughs> go ahead sure, if you sorry, yeah, yeah
3: first time uh, and by the way, way um,
0: and thank thank you for for calling in and participating i will mm-hmm. say i can only see some people so if you are looking to participate don't rely on the wave method sure you'll have to use the chat because i might not okay. see you but uh no problem. but uh well, yeah just, go ahead and chime in
3: i was just uh, just to just to mention that, of course that it it, it it there's a couple of reference here to the two um you know, the fact that judas will betray jesus you know so evil is um kind of an, a necessary part of the story here you know that, that and he's not just a disciple he's one it's going to be one of the 12. and so um i think that we can see that maybe maybe evil wasn't necessary at the beginning in the garden wasn't a necessary part of the world. You know, uh, Adam and Eve brought that into the world by disobeying. But uh, in our gospel stories, evil is certainly a necessary element. You know, because Jesus has to be betrayed. He has to be, be, be betrayed in order to make the sacrifice to redeem us. You know, and so I think it's that that in terms of the like creation from the beginning, evil wasn't a necessary element, but after we fell, it is a necessary part of creation.
1: Yeah, um,
3: if that uh, makes sense.
1: Yeah, I I, so I think that necessary perhaps it's a, it's it's too strong of a word like could god not do it any other way um i think maybe he could have but i fully grant that uh god uses evil within the story right he he absolutely accounts for the evil in the world and he uses that evil to bring forth his purposes and i think that that's i mean absolutely on the money uh, which is why Jesus picks Judas and allows him to remain. I mean, uh, uh, like I said, uh, maybe I would have a small there distinction with the word necessary, but other than that, I fully agree with what you're saying.
0: Oh, well, I was able to contribute. Thank you. Sure, thanks for calling in. Appreciate it, Timmy. Um,
1: and, oh. Um, oh, is there another question or anything? Uh, no, we're, we're no. good.
0: I was okay. going to start to wrap up, but if you have okay. more thoughts, go for it.
1: One last very quick thought. Yeah, I thought somebody might comment on this, but nobody did. You know, I kept bringing in this this argument from mathematics. This is a very odd argument, and if nobody's interested, I'm gonna just leave it aside. Uh, but I love it. I I I really I find it fascinating this idea that math applies to the physical universe. And you, you've, I imagine. You, like whoever's listening, have probably never thought of that quirky fact. But the more you think about it, the more it's actually quite strange. And there's a famous essay about this that was written years ago by a brilliant mathematician that I can share at some point if anyone is interested. But I didn't want you to think that that was just some crazy thing I came up with. It's it's actually, I've, I think, a strong argument.
0: No, I, I don't think that I've thought about it in that terms. That there's something that exists abstract that really only exists in the minds of people human beings, I suppose. You can't go touch it. You can't go handle math physically. And yet it is of, it is of a very high value in terms of its application (laughs) to the world. It's it's built essentially everything that we have as human beings. Um, That is interesting to think about when you think about the sort of concepts that we're talking about. Um, And I suppose a lot of the concepts that bring me to this study, it's like there, there are these, sort of intangible abstract truths that are 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 in, in many ways very obvious and of massive explanatory value to the world but we we don't really think that i guess i've just never thought of math as like in what in what realm it exists but it exists since yeah it's, it's it is weird to think about it in that <laughs> way i've never done yeah. that but yeah Okay.
1: Well, I think, I guess we can leave it at that.
2: <laughs> right. Well, it
0: was a real mind bender tonight and I uh, I appreciate that. And of course, I appreciate everybody coming to the study tonight. Thank you for your time. And uh, we hope of course, to see you back next week, same time. Oh wait, that was one thing I was going to clarify with you. I, we should have done this beforehand, but next weekend is a holiday weekend. I can be here, um, but I don't know if you need time off or what your plans are. So, yeah, we should
1: skip next week because I will be traveling. So okay. that would be great to take one week off.
0: Okay, I and I apologize for not confronting that up front. Uh, I it just sneaks up on me. And actually, next weekend is uh, my son's birthday, his first oh, birthday. So this will work out well. Uh, in that case, uh, everybody have a great Labor Day weekend, and we will see you back. Let me check my calendar just so I get this right. Uh, we will be off Saturday, September third. We will return Saturday, September tenth. Then. We will resume the study at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Thanks for your participation and for uh, listening, and I hope everybody has a great Labor Day holiday.